The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Amen. Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you that we may gather as your people today to worship you, to lift up songs of praise to you, to lift up our hearts to you. And as our choir just led us in a call to worship, be holy as God is holy, we, we tremble at those words that you call us to live the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we confess, Lord, we cannot do that apart from your grace we may not even lift up acceptable praise to you today, apart from your spirit working in us to make our worship acceptable. 
Lord, we pray that you would do that today for your glory's sake. Just as we sang the Gloria Patri together, Lord, I pray that you would make our worship acceptable in your sight. May you join our hearts together as your people. Make us a holy people who are not. We are sinners. We confess that in your presence. And we pray as we worship you, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit upon us. As we pray now, Lord, the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal on page 845, if you would like to look there. Because this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and trust in the merits of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone and in His resurrection, hear the assurance of God's pardon from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, beginning in verse 47. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption, till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my, over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called to you and said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case of my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wronged. Judge my case. Amen. As we continue to worship now, Let's turn to hymn number 420 as we sing together at the Lamb's High Feast, we sing.
Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of our worship service where we may give back to you a portion of what you have so richly blessed each of us with in our families. Lord, we pray that you would take our tithes and our offerings, that they might be used for your glory alone, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be spread abroad because of our obedience to you. We pray these things and ask them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. 
At this time, I'd like to call forward uh, those who are coming to join in membership. We have four young people coming to uh, make profession of faith and two couples who uh, have recently joined our membership. So I'd like to call to come forward uh, Caleb Copeland, Cade Monteith, Samuel Pope, Jacob Rambo, Tim and Barbara Sells, and Jerry and Kelly Grindle. If you would please join me here up front. Maybe so. They had a specific order it would help. Come on. There you go. There you go. All right. Yep. Come on. Come on up. Yep. You see a little bit of what the, the children do every Sunday morning. Kind of piling in here. So, that's right. This, this is a joy and a privilege in the life of our church to welcome uh, four young people who are making profession of faith as covenant children, they are saying, uh, not only have I grown up being taught the ways of our Lord, but I believe that He is mine and I am His. So they met with our session this past Monday evening, made profession of faith, and really I want to tell you of the things that we do as a session, there's probably nothing more precious than to receive new members. Folks who say, we want to be part of this church family. And what a privilege to do this with young people and uh, to see couples who did not grow up in the Lebanon community come and say, we want to be part of this church family. So I'm going to uh, ask them the questions of our membership vows in your presence as a, as a declaration of their intent to be members here. Uh, the session received them on Monday night. And so I want to encourage you too, uh, as I'm reading these vows, to consider your own the vows that you made to this church family. So I'm going to ask you, please respond out loud, everyone, okay? These are the same vows. We didn't change them from Monday night. <laughs> Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? Do you? Yes, sir. Thank you. Number two. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to you in the Gospel? Do you? Yes, sir. Number three, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you? I did. And number four, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Yes. And lastly, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Do you? Yes, sir. Yes. Well, you have been received into the membership at Lebanon Presbyterian Church. I want to say welcome and congratulations. And I wanted to uh, pray a brief prayer before we continue in our service of worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy and a privilege it is in the midst of the times that we live in where it is easy to think that there is so much uncertainty about this world and even our own lives to see that you are on your throne, you are building your church. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for these covenant children. We thank you for these two couples that are joining our church family. Lord, we pray that you would cause all of us to be in awe of your work, that you do this. You call us to yourself. You make us part of your family. It's not our doing. It's not our choice. 
And we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for these young men that they will grow up to be godly men, that they will lead their families, that they will love you, and that they will serve you all their days in their generation. Lord, I thank you for these couples, for Jerry and Kelly and for Tim and Barbara. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them here to Lebanon, for welcoming them in, welcoming us in with them, for their spirit of joy in the Lord in being here. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to love one another well, just as we have covenanted together with them. I pray, Lord, that we as a, a church family would also take our responsibility seriously to love one another and to serve you by serving each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to shake your hand and I want to give each of you something uh, just, just from, from me. Read it later. Congratulations, Kate. Congratulations, Jacob. Pardon me just a moment. Samuel, congratulations. Jerry and Kelly, welcome. Welcome. Tim and Barbara, welcome. You may be seated. Thank you all. What an honor it is to do this on a day where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I know for these young men, uh, having seen it their, all their lives, to get to participate in this sacrament today is a, a blessed day for them and for their families. And so for each family, I just want to say congratulations, praise the Lord, continue to persevere, raise your children to know the Lord, be reminded of His goodness in your families. In our responsive reading today, uh, please turn to page 787. We're going to read together Psalm 15 out loud. It begins on page 787 and continues to the next page. I'll uh, begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Begins, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Amen. Let's stand together and we will sing hymn number 501, Just As I Am.
Father in heaven, each Sunday we pause in our service of worship to bow our heads and our hearts to come before your throne of grace, that we might find grace to help and mercy in time of need. Lord, this is to be a prayer on behalf of your peoples, a prayer in in the presence of the living God. And as we just sang about, we come just as we are. Lord, we can't dress ourselves up. We can't clean ourselves up. We may not do enough good things to make ourselves worthy to be in your presence. And we rejoice today, Lord, that that is because of your word and because of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your covenant grace and your mercy in each of our lives that we come to you as we are and you love us so much that you Do not leave us that way because of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, because of this, we may pray. We may pray to you in confidence, in strength and in courage. And we come, Lord, praying that way with much around us that causes us to look through a glass dimly at your glory. It is because of our sinfulness that we don't see it. It's because of being in this fallen world that we see through a glass dimly, that there is a veil over us, and this is all because of your plan. Lord, we pray, we plead, just as Jesus prayed in John 17, as we heard this morning in adult Sunday school, as Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer, we pray that you would be glorified. Just as we prayed this morning, as we joined our voices and prayed, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, We pray that as your people. We know that your kingdom is here. We know that your kingdom is coming. We pray these things not with a lack of faith, but with confidence in who you are because of who you are and because you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this world, be glorified in your church, be glorified in our families and in our lives, we pray. And Lord, we know as we pray this, as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that he lived, that glorifying yourself in us does not mean that our path will be easy or light. We know that in many ways it may involve suffering. And for many of us here in our church family this morning, there is suffering. And so, Lord, I lift up my voice to you, as I know many do, for relief from physical pain, from health struggles that linger day in and day out, that even being here at church for some is a significant investment of energy and time. And Lord, I pray that you would be with your people. Encourage those who are downhearted spiritually, 
who carry a weight with them. They may not see, we may not be able to see the signs of it physically, but there is a weight in their heart and their soul. And we cry out to you, Heavenly Father, that you would be merciful, that you would pour out your spirit on your people. Give us faith, Lord, in the midst of our trials, in our sorrows and in our grief. We pray that you would be with us according to the promise of your word. And Lord, as we prepare to come to your table in a few moments, as we open God's word to read it, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that all that we do in the remainder of this service, just as we began it, would be done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 10. Psalm 10. We're taking a brief pause this morning from our study in the book of Amos to consider just briefly uh, some verses in Psalm 10 as we uh, hear the sermon this morning entitled, God's Triumph Over Evil. God's Triumph Over Evil. We're going to begin with verses 1 and 2. And then go over to verse 12, verse 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. And then over in verse 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account, but you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the keeper, excuse me, you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of the land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare his heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Those of you who come to Super Seniors, please excuse me. This is absolutely a repeat of a devotion that I gave briefly at Super Seniors just last month. As I considered this psalm, as I thought about the things that are happening in the world today, and as we come to the Lord's table, I know that it would be easy to think this is a pause, that this morning we are stepping out of reality for a few moments as we stand in the presence of the living God to worship Him. As we come to the Lord's table, we're celebrating triumph. We're celebrating victory. And yet, in the world that we live in, the day-to-day lives that you lead, that many around the world are leading right now, there is hurt, there is sorrow, there is great fear, there is violence and evil, untold, things that are horrible and awful that are taking place, and yet here we are singing praises and talking of victory and faith and the, the goodness of God, that the kingdom of God is being built. And it's almost as though you might say, what sort of reality are you living in, preacher? Are you so disconnected from everything that's happening around you that you don't even see it? I want to encourage your hearts this morning, dear church family, that our God triumphed over evil. That the victory is already complete. Jesus is on the throne. As David said in this psalm, the Lord is king forever and ever. And that does not change. And it is difficult As we consider briefly a few questions from the psalmist this morning, he asks two questions and then he makes a statement. It's difficult to talk through these age-old questions. It's difficult to wrestle with what you read on the news and what you see happening in public schools and other places around the world in our supermarkets and uh, even fast food restaurants. Is there anywhere where evil is not touching? And because of the sinfulness of man, We may say with our Bibles open, with our heads 
on with our eyes open? No. Because of the sinfulness of man, there is no place where evil will not touch. But the Lord Jesus Christ is victorious. And I know that that might sound like a trite statement. But I pray that you see that it's true this morning according to God's word. These are age-old questions. The psalmist asks, where are you, God? Point number one. He also asks, will you save us, God? And he ends in this psalm, thank you, God. So as we consider this psalm, I want you to consider the riches of your covenant blessings as a child of God, as a child of the King. He has given you the blessing of comfort and confidence in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, the scripture writer says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. How can you say that without a future that is fixed? How may you say that without hope in the living God? Sometimes our disposition in our prayers is not always peaceful and resting. Sometimes we are anxious. Many times we are grieving and angry. We are filled with sorrow. And if we're honest, we are afraid. Afraid for our families, afraid for our country, afraid for this world, afraid for our children. What will this world come to? And the psalmist in Psalm 10 displays the rawness of his own struggle with these questions. And he sees evil running through the streets, in his neighbor's lives, in the houses of those who are in power in the land. And we see his sincere cry to the Lord. Number one, where are you, God? It's interesting that with all the evil around, that the psalmist would say that one of the chief concerns he has is the presence of the living God. Where are you, God? His absence is perceived and it's very real to the psalmist. Are you here? Will you help? Or have you forsaken your people? Have you left your promises aside? It seems that there is no restraint on the wicked in this psalm. Take some time this afternoon, read it. There is rawness to what's taking place in the streets, according to the psalmist. He says that the wicked are awful. They are terrible. Their devices are real. That persecution is the standard of the day, according to the psalmist. That he, the wicked person, boasts. He renounces God. God isn't real. He's not true. The things that he says, his word is not real or relevant today. It says in verse 4 that they don't even seek God. He succeeds in his evil plots. It seems that nobody can stay his hand. He fears neither God nor man. He is proud, is the wicked. He uses any and all strategies. He loves the dark. He prays on the poor and he mocks God in verses 8 through 11. Where are you, God? Some of you asked that question. Maybe some of you asked it this morning. Where are you? Are you real? Number two, will you save us, God? The psalmist lifts up his voice to call upon the Lord in verse 12. He says, arise, O Lord, and lift up your hand. This is a cry for deliverance. A cry that God might redeem his life, redeem his body even. He says, take action. It means to lift up your hand. He's not asking that God would get in the fight. 
He's asking that God would be victorious, that he would show himself in his glory, unclothed, pure glory of the living God. He says, remember us, don't forget the humble. And he's not patting himself on the back saying, I'm a righteous person. But he's saying, you, Lord, according to your covenant mercy, have always left a remnant of your people among those in this world. Please keep your promises to this remnant of your people. Be faithful to yourself by protecting us. He is invoking God's covenant name and calling upon his faithfulness to be his savior. Even in this vulnerable place in fear, the psalmist is writing. He is battered by enemy attacks and yet... He is concerned for the glory of God and for his justice in the world. He's saying it's unreasonable in verse 13. Why do the wicked renounce God? It's unreasonable. The way that God made this world and made each of us, he wrote in our conscience, we know God exists. It is unreasonable that anyone would say, I don't believe in God. I Firmly believe there is no such thing as an atheist in this world. Because according to Romans chapter 1, God has written it on our conscience. He has revealed it to us that he is the king of all the earth. He is the judge of all creation. It's inescapable. In verse 13, even though the the wicked would say, you will not require an account. God won't, won't call me on the carpet on the things that I've done in secret places behind closed doors or when I'm on my own in my room. He says, you will not require an account. And yet we know that God is the judge of all the earth. In Romans chapter two, actually Paul wrote that even the Gentiles know that would be us. People who are not part of ethnic Israel who received God's covenant promises and faithfulness in the Old Testament. He says, even the pagans know That it is written in their hearts because God put it there that a judgment day is coming. Is it not clear, dear friends, in the world that we are living in, we cannot continue the way things are. God will call us to account. He reassures himself in verses 14 and 15. He praises God for his providence. He reassures himself that God is who he has always been. He does see. It was a question, God, do you see us? Do you hear? Do you hear the cries of your people? He says, you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief in verse 14. And he also says, you will act. You will repay by your hand. You are the helper of the fatherless. You will break the arm of the wicked and the evil man, and you will seek out wickedness until you find none. God's wrath because of sin is full and exact. It will not miss the mark. It will absolutely be right and good. And we will fall down on our faces praising him for it. All of creation will do that. But I want you to notice in this psalm that throughout the psalm, there's real movement. As you read these verses, he moves from worry and fear to confidence and assurance and praise. And I want to ask you, how is that possible? How do you do that? How do you do that? You have worries. You have fears. There are things that keep you up at night or wake you up in the morning. There are things that you dread to face. How do you do this? The wicked and their schemes are not gone in the psalm. 
There hasn't been some sort of interlude or intercession where he goes out and fights with the armies of God and comes back with a message of rejoicing and victory. He is still in the midst of the same muck that he was in when he started verse 1, when he asked the question, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? So how does he do this? The threats are real, they're present, the weight of affliction is still on his shoulders, and yet there seems to be for him light in darkness, strength in weakness, and joy in sorrow. But how? The only possible answer to this is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and him moving in the heart of the scripture writer here. He says, thank you, God. His confidence to pray is in who God has revealed himself to be. Again, in verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. No one would make that statement apart from God moving by his Holy Spirit in them. Because otherwise, the rest of us want to be king. We want to be on the throne. We want a kingdom. We want people shouting our name and singing our praises. The only reason anyone would write that is because God put it in them to write it. It's not an idea that man would dream up. It's only by the revelation of God in verse 16. And I think this is helpful and important to us as you live your day-to-day life as I live mine. As you think about what prompts me to pray. Why in the midst of difficulty do I not pray? Or why in the midst of difficulty do I pray? I believe it is because it is a gift of God given to you. And His Spirit prompts you in those moments, to pray to your Heavenly Father. And you do so by faith. It's not an act based on, well, Lord, this is what I did today. I believe my good outweighed my bad, so now I'll come to you in the midst of my storm. Will you please answer? It's actually even in the midst of the bad things that you've done that you may pray as a child of God, Lord, please be with me in the midst of this. Prayer is a gift. It is a spiritual gift from your heavenly father. He calls you to himself. You don't pray because you want to. You pray because he calls you to it. He has complete trust in the person of God. He says the helpless commits himself to you. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare his heart. What do you believe has you prepared for what you're about to face this week? And none of us knows what it is. Even if you had an advanced copy of the newspaper. If any of you still read the newspaper in your hand. If you had an advanced copy of what's going to be in the news this week, nothing could prepare you for what you're going to face. How may you know that you may have confidence? It's only because God is on the throne. And because you have entrusted yourself to a faithful Good God who does what he promises and who keeps his promises and is faithful. That he prays in this psalm that you and I pray is a gift. It's not our idea. It's a blessed invitation from God. Prayer is not our invention. In verse 17, he said, you have heard the desire of the humble and you will prepare his heart. We would not think of this on our own. The invitation is by grace alone, and for grace. God, our Heavenly Father, says, come and get to know me through my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read just a little bit from Isaiah. Come and get to know my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. I ask you again, does God overcome evil? Will he answer your prayers? Where are you, God? Will you save us, God? God answers these questions in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you wonder if justice will ever be done in this world? Do you wonder if the righteousness that God explains throughout the scriptures will ever be seen in the streets? Will we ever know what it means to dwell in holiness and never be afraid? Look to the Lord Jesus. He is the answer to that question. Because all injustice was done to him for the sake of you and me, for the glory of God. Jesus bore in his body on the tree the penalty due for our sins. And the righteous life that he lived and the perfection that he lived was accounted to us. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what this meal is about. That's why we're about to come to the Lord's table. It is a reminder to us because it is so easy day in and day out to live our Christian life as though we're just doing our best for Jesus and he's going to make up for our deficits. Do you believe down deep in your soul in places that you maybe wouldn't speak about? That you know that you are more awful than you would ever confess to anyone. That your sins run deeper than your actions. That it is your very soul, apart from the Lord Jesus' grace, that earns you a place in hell. And do you cling to Jesus alone and his precious righteousness to qualify you to pray in the presence of your heavenly Father, the great King of all the earth? It's his table that we come to. It's he that we glorify. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're about to come to the table of your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our weakness, in our sinfulness, and in our neediness, that we would not just go through the motions this morning, taking part in the Lord's Supper, and miss the grace that is in this for us. And I pray, Lord, just as Jesus proclaimed in John 6, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never be hungry or thirsty. I pray, Lord, for your people here today, that they would participate by faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would nourish us down deep in our souls, that we might know that you, Lord Jesus, came to bring reconciliation and forgiveness and righteousness to people who had none of those things and could accomplish none of them apart from your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
this time I'd like to ask the elders who will be helping with the Lord's Supper to please come forward. Jesus in his wisdom gives us this meal as his people. In his wisdom he gives it to us that we might feed upon him, that we might receive grace, that we might be reminded that we absolutely need a Savior. This sacrament proclaims that to you. As much as you might fight and scrap against it, you know in your heart, I cannot change what is dead. I can't clean up the dirty spots of my soul. I cannot do it on my own. I must fly to Christ. This message proclaims that to you. But it also welcomes you. This table is the table of His grace. He doesn't come to say, bring your guilt, let me remind you of it. He comes to you and invites you to the table to come and lay down your arms. Come and find rest for your soul. I pray that you can do that today in a very real way before your Heavenly Father that you would find real mercy and grace. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would hear the gospel this morning, that you don't have to clean up yourself to be a Christian because you can't. The Lord Jesus cleans up people. Before we take part in in this meal, I want to ask you to take a few moments in silent confession before the Lord that you would confess your sins to Him and after a few moments, I'll, I'll pray and then we will continue. <coughs> Father, we confess our sins in your presence. <coughs> Truly we are a sinful people. Thoroughly we, we do believe in absolute total depravity that apart from you we are, we are left in our sins. We confess that we have done things that we ought not to have done and we've not done things that your word tells us to do. And we know that apart from your grace in our lives, there is no health in us. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that in this meal. That you would remind us of it as we leave here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister the gospel to our souls. That you would remind us of your faithfulness and your greatness and wonder. And the perfection of the Lord Jesus. In the sinless life that he lived on our behalf. And we thank you for this meal that... You have given to us that we would be reminded of it. May we truly participate 
in a very spiritual way in this meal as we touch the bread and the cup. May it be a reminder to us, not only of the Lord Jesus' sacrifice, but our interest in His body and blood because we are tied to You because of Him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. He didn't come to give us a meal like this. This meal only points to the reality of what Jesus came to give us. He came to give forgiveness of sins. He came to make reconciliation with God actually possible. Not just a a possibility for God's people, but He made it definite. He knew before the foundation of the world that He would give you this meal and that you would participate today. What a blessing and a privilege to be part of God's family and to come to His table that He has ordained that we would participate in it. I want to read these words of institution from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, I deliver unto you that which I received, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when the Lord's Supper was instituted, that after He had given thanks, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. So not only do we remember the Lord, but we also participate in this meal, receiving the grace that Jesus gave to us in it, that he won for himself a people. And this meal is a reminder. You belong to him. You are the redeemed. You come to feed upon His grace. And may your hearts be truly encouraged as you participate in this meal as a church family today. This meal is for those who belong to the Lord Jesus by faith. If you are not a member of a church that takes the gospel seriously and you have not made profession of faith, then we ask that you not participate in this meal. You don't have to be a member of this church to participate. But it it should be that you are under the leadership of a church somewhere and participate in this meal in good conscience before the Lord. If you are resisting the Lord in some way and have some unrepentant sin in your life and you know that you are not walking with the Lord the way that you should, then please don't participate in this meal today. Pray to the Lord. Make that right that you might receive forgiveness. If your children have not made profession of faith, we ask that they... Do please keep their hands to their sides. You are participating on their behalf as covenant head in your household. And if there's something wrong between you and someone else, whether it be someone in this room or in your family or otherwise, that you've not done everything that you can in your conscience before the Lord to make it right, then we ask that you please not participate in this meal. Do your best to make that right before the Lord. And then come back and participate the next time that we celebrate this meal in January, believe it or not. But this table is not for perfect people. This table is for people who cling to grace and who know they need the Lord Jesus Christ alone in their lives to be saved. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed once for us. These are the gifts of God. Hallelujah. May you be rejoiced in your heart at your Savior.
Lord Jesus said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may have heard one of our covenant children ask while the cups were being passed out, Mom, what is that? What a wonderful question to be able to answer. Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it for the remission of your sins in remembrance of me. As the men cover the table, we're going to stand and sing one final hymn, number 427, Amidst Us Our Beloved Stands. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's lift up our voices now in praise to Him. of our Lord from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel 
and I will bless them. Amen. Amen.